0: Welcome one and all throughout time and space for this episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look on an anime that premiered 10 years ago. On this episode, we will cover our personal top 5 military anime, after which we will also give consideration and thoughts on whether to resurrect or rebury the 2012 anime franchise Jormungand. My name is Sam Martinez. I'm a part-time weeb, full-time auto mail mechanic. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Jay Johnson, part-time weeb, full-time English language sensei. Now, Jay, I feel like between now and our previous episode, I have done so many weebish things. I say this because I was able to find a video that had a martial artist essentially buy the tens and swords that you had mentioned and had shown that a true martial art can be used with said swords and it can be effective I'm not gonna lie I, I, I just geeked out from that and I also was able to watch Sonic the Hedgehog's Sonic the Hedgehog it was only one of him in theaters, the second one, and... (laughs) I have to say, like, I felt like I was a little kid, because, like, I had a... uh, My Sonic the Hedgehog hog and hog... The the Hedgehog and Clogs shirt, along with... I I had also bought a drink that was Sonic-themed earlier, uh, and I had made a chili dog casserole in commemoration of this film and i have also been enjoying the marvel series moon Knight up until now so j- just just had a gush on those things a little bit but what about you jay what what weebish things have you been enjoying between our last episode and today's episode
1: yeah i've been kind of sick or stuck to a bed over the past week So I was basically just Mm. cruising the internet for news, so a lot of the anime news that kind of have gone over my head that hasn't, you know, usually showed up in my feed I was able to concentrate on. So, like, I wouldn't be mentioning, like, the new, or the first trailer actually is dropped for the new One Piece movie, Red. So we got, like, a different introduction towards what might be Shank's daughter, quote-unquote, don't know. Um, but you got some visuals yeah. of, like, the One Piece crew and their new drip that they always uh, <laughs> wear for per movie. And a few things, like the new Mishoto uh, Shinkai movie dropped a trailer. I forgot what the translation in English was, but it's her name. The main character's name is uh, Suzumi. And I think the translation is, like, she unlocks all the doors or she locks all the doors. I think that's the kanji in it. A few yeah. other things. Um, like Two episodes behind... On Moon Night, or I guess on one episode went behind now because episode did just or episode three just premiered alongside. Mm-hmm. I also saw Morbius for, uh, well, I saw that I guess a week ago now because it premiered here mm-hmm. in Mongolia a little bit earlier. And I like your message to me, Sam was like, "Oh, there's a second. There is a second. Uh, there's a second end credit scene." versus yes. oh jay this movie is garbage don't waste your money to go see it but because bruh sony has sony has just made everything so complicated and i feel like they don't have a strong foothold in how they're adapting to what marvel is doing with their multi their multiverse because the there's a lot yeah. going on in Morbius that doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere to, to, to be
0: fair i would say to be fair to for morbius the supporting cast was great especially matt smith i would and that's one thing that i told you if you watch it for anything watch it for matt smith because he was great and that's just not the huvian in me talking that was a little bit of the Hoovian in me talking but he was really great
1: very true uh, and i don't feel like this is spoiler but there's never any moment that you think that matt uh, he's going to be the good guy in the movie <laughs> just <laughs> even with the poster he's like oh well where can i point out the bad guy in the film and also there's like um comedian al magical he plays one of the cops as alongside Therese gibson i believe gibson, oh I believe that's
0: him. why he had all the jokes i didn't know he was a comedian okay that that's why he, he, he was uh so quick with the jokes that makes sense now and so
1: like it's like one of those it it feels like just a little step down from what sony has done with carnage and venom so i was like okay if they're heading towards sinister sticks then i'm like okay i will give them credit if they ever get that off the ground but you know i'm waiting in not anticipation but anxiousness and i guess the last nerdy thing i did was um no we talked about moon Knights. i was really impressed by moon Knight. Um, Oh the other man I am trying my hardest since I was on my news feeds a bunch this week was avoiding Dr. Strange trailers because why for whatever reason Marvel has shifted into a gear just spoiling their movies they did it with Spider-Man No Way Home kind of and now they're doing it with Dr. Strange with like okay I saw your Marvel what if series I don't need to see all these trailers because I know what's going to happen, I know what the multiverse is, I know what Doctor Strange does to mess up the multiverse. So it's been very interesting of like just seeing these like snippets and it feels like it's showcasing the best the movie has to offer and also leading into plan or is it stage four? What do they call it? Plan four? Um of the Marvel Cinematic universe and also information about um for love and thunder dropped this week yeah about love and thunder. who's going mm-hmm. to be in it Who's playing certain roles even the toys came out this week so it was a pretty good week to be a nerd sam
0: i want to say yeah since you mentioned love and thunder there was a news article that i saw that christian bale's character image was revealed or at least how he looked in costume or what he did to prepare for his role I didn't look at it because I didn't want to spoil myself, but knowing Christian Bale and what he put what, what he put his body through, I'm pretty sure that he looks dope as hell, man. So, I'm, I again, I hadn't seen it, and I don't want to surprise myself. I'm looking forward to it. I just hope that Christian Bale doesn't uh, get some sort of a disease or something with all the punishment that he puts his body through. But... Onwards to our next segment. So, I guess, like, time codes in the description, we will be talking about our top five military anime in regards to sort of a bit of a segue to Jormungand, because Jormungand is within the military genre. And uh, just know that when we're... Going and talking about our top five military anime, we are excluding Gundam anime, and I can't remember. Jay, uh, did we exclude Mecha in general, or was it just Gundam? Well,
1: for my list, I exclude Mecha just because it's so military focused, but it takes up like so much of the. You're looking at the pie of military anime, it just takes up so much. So, want to you give no know, proper spotlight to other. And the other forms of it
0: oh no no ex- uh, exactly and what we'll be doing is we'll be doing our regular weep skit ball game that we're going to be doing where we do kobe bench and yeet basically where the bench means that your pick is not on my list kobe means your pick is in the exact same spot on my list or yeet being your pick is higher up on my list, and we're sort of going to be going through those as we continue through our list, and we'll be starting from our bottom five. And Jay, as we are starting, I would have to say, looking excuse me, or at least having a deeper dive into the military anime, I was surprised on what was considered. Military anime and what wasn't considered military anime. For instance, I for sure thought that Black Lagoon was going to be considered a military anime, but when I looked it up, it wasn't listed in any of the genres. And same thing with Read or Die. Is that surprising to you or no? Yeah.
1: So, like, if you look into military genre, like obviously when you're talking about anime, you're like, oh, mechas. We know all the mecha animes are military because that's what the theme of mecha is. This about. Militarization and the use of war machines, but if you look actually to like the pure, the purest definition of military, it's just any anime that has a focus on military war stories, military militant groups and organizations. So there's a lot of subcategories you can take, like war story, war stories like Violet Evergarden counts as that, Grave of the Fireflies counts as that. War period is actually there is a war. Uh, sub category inside of military like attack on titan and berserk that are centered around war mechas we've talked about with gundams even we talked about a few oh, not even a few episodes ago but break blade is a mecha military we have sci-fi which goes into like battleship yamada and um i would say like galactic heroes and even the girl girl the gun girl genre kind of fits Into it, depending on how it's structured, the anime itself, but like classic examples are like Gunslinger Girl and Girls und Panzer, which we'll actually talk about later this year. But yeah, the military genre is like pretty diverse when you actually look into breaking it down.
0: Oh, definitely. Like, for instance, I gave an example on the animes that I was surprised wasn't considered anime, it wasn't considered military anime. And the following anime are the ones that are considered military anime that I didn't even think was military anime. For instance, Netflix's series uh, Sirius the Jaeger, as you said, like uh, if you wanted to go to the textbook example that you mentioned where you're following military, militant groups, you do follow military, militant groups in Sirius the Jaeger, very much like Seraph of the End akira is also considered military anime which that surprised me because there are military groups but you mainly focus on teenagers and not necessarily the military aspect and the last one that surprised me was examed lost memories was again you're following these teenagers and aliens are involved and there is some military actions that's uh, involved as well but again you're just mainly following the teenagers. So that's why I was a bit surprised on those on why those are considered military. And looking at my list there is one Mecca now that I think about it but when we get to it we I can talk a little bit why it's on there and why I didn't consider it Mecca to begin with. But Jay, that's enough talking from me. Let's start out with your number 5. Alright, so this is the second episode we're doing
1: a row with our top five list. And I would be very shocked if you have any similarities again for how (laughs) diverse military. We did went very broad with military, but then we didn't like really specify. We didn't break it down to like into a sub genre because I don't think we both knew that military was going to be so huge to talk about. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, adding like militant groups as like part of the definition really adds in like a lot of anime that you really not of. like even when we said about akira akira because that's a that's a story that kind of has something to do with the development of a military device and like military
0: assets so, yeah
1: uh talking about number five i'm sure it's not on your list but it is the pilot's love story
0: oh that is a bench for me so is it anything like a romance that the title implies or is it something completely different
1: yeah i actually watched this back in 2014 when it came out and Mm -hmm. the highest praise i'm going to give it and why it's so far down my list it feels so reminiscent of battle galactica uh so obviously the title is a little bit misleading but it does have like a romance at the core kind of like how uh, not to talk about Star galactica but there's like a bunch of romances in that show as well kind of what gets you attached to characters literally mm-hmm. fighting for their lives as they're on the <laughs> run from aliens but basically yeah. the story is centered around this basically a, f- a levitating island called um ilsa which is basically a base train to train which is a base to train uh, combat or aerial pilots pilots in aerial combat as they are on this island, they're basically in search of a place called the End of the Sky. It feels like very reminiscent again with Galactica, with they're searching for Zion. What's the planet they're searching for in Galactica? Yeah,
0: it, um, it, it it's another name for Earth, right? Yeah, but, yeah. basically yeah. New Earth, Neo Earth, whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, it has like this core romance. It it's set in the fantasy genre, but. Why the reason I put it my number five is because what it does that I've never seen that happen in other animes is that it pays us so much nuanced attention to the aviation training of their pilots. Like, they talk about the breakdown of the planes, they talk about theories about how pilots have to do a lot of calculations, how they have to be mathematicians and scientists while they're behind the cockpit. Even, like, G-Force training, you know, it's one of those animes that really educate you on something that you didn't think you were going to get educated on. So I don't see a lot of animes doing a lot of aviation focus because aviation is such a hard thing to animate because you have to mm-hmm. pay a lot of attention to the choreography of how they're moving in the air because that's really something that wasn't really tackled until, like, the later 2010s with more advanced CGI and overlaid with 2D animation. So this was, like, the first attempt I've actually seen that I said... Oh, there's nothing janky about these. Um, <laughs> nothing janky about these uh, planes fighting in midair. So, out at number five because it's the least military focused, but it is focused on a part of the military that I don't think is enough due credit.
0: Okay, no, so it sounds a little bit like Top Gun with the shop talk a little bit. Is, is that Ooh, a good summarization? That, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. But there's okay. not a lot of bravado that you would find in Top Gun. It it does feel like a lot of um, lightheartedness because it's done by Studio TMS Entertainment, and oh, it's also available in Crunchyroll. <laughs> but yeah, it is an interesting story. Um, it's just thirteen episodes, so very easy digestible watch.
0: Okay, no, that's very interesting. I I might have to give that a look myself. So, uh. Man, I, I really like your opening anime because it again, like it shows how diverse the uh, the genre is. And looking at my list, I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's super basic and super mainstream. But for my number five, it's basically the Full Metal Alchemist franchise, both the original and Brotherhood. I don't think that's anywhere on your list, is it? No,
1: I benched that because that felt like an obvious choice. Like again, like uh, talking about some of the greats of all times, I feel like that needed focus. But yeah, military film—it's on par with like one of the best of all time.
0: Mm -hmm. And it—it's just uh, like like you said, uh, it doesn't really go into necessarily like the structure of the military, but you do get a sense of what it's like to be a part of the military. They uh, constantly compare the main characters to dogs of the military because essentially like you being in the military, you go where the military tells you to go. And their position, they do have enough independence and enough wide breadth to do their own independent research. And that was something that I did like where it was an interesting interpretation where you can be a scientist, where you can have unlimited funding, I guess, sort of like what DARPA or NASA has, but you still have to answer to Uncle Sam whenever he calls. And as you said, just with the way the storytelling and the uh, story is written, it's done very, very well. So on to your number four. All right. My number four
1: is something we've already talked about previously on the podcast, but Mm -hmm. number four is Sound of the
0: Sky oh that's a bench for me but go go ahead and explain why uh sound of the sky beat out pilot's romance
1: yeah i remember your gripes with this anime and i believe i agree with you mostly about that when we talked about this back in 2010 but this is basically a post-apocalyptic war story where the war has basically regressed all of technology back like a century or more and the story basically focuses on this platoon that is stationed at a border town, a peaceful border town, and they're welcoming a new bugler. So that's where you get the why the title makes sense, because the main character is a bugler. Bugler. And uh, this falls into, like, cute girls doing cute things because it's done by A1 Pictures. But why I put it as my number four is because I think I put it as my number one, the 2010 anime that we reviewed. But this is basically a story that does background storytelling very well it's a slice of life it's very slow it's very methodical it's more about building out the world than really talking about the military but it is looking at a aspect of military life that i don't think a lot of people think is necessary to look at like the peacetime military about the downtime that the military does like you know the kind of human aspects to soldiers' lives. It's like, they have hobbies. They have, like, relaxation. They have, like, meals. They have, like, conversations about nonsensical things like other people. So I think I like that approach to looking at the military. It's like that humanizing effect that soldiers aren't just killing things or machines that you just use for war. It's like, okay, but what after the war? (laughs) And what after the (laughs) battle? like they still have to return to being people right and it's like a soft like there's nothing gritty about it there's nothing like really political about how they view the military in this there's a lot of looking at the town that's protecting about the aftermath Mm -hmm. of the war about this lingering mystery about what is this was there aliens or like what is this um, technology that regressed um That did so much damage to the world that now the world's kind of like in the 1800s, essentially 1900s. So it's a very nice war story. It's very fluffy. It's just well done. It's put together pretty well, and I enjoyed it. 12 episodes, again, an easily digestible series. But yeah, I had to put it on here because I talked so highly about it before in our previous episode about it. So yeah, that's my number four.
0: Oh, definitely. And don't get mad at me, Jay, but I, I haven't gone back and finished it like I said I would. But now that you have brought it back and it's on the list again, and it's in my memory, I, I, I'm going to do my best to go back and, and finish it. Because you did say that the payoff was good and how they had set up the background story and the end it does resolve it and bringing it back to the forefront. So... I, again, I said that I would go back and watch it, and I haven't done so. But I will definitely do that. I am a man a man of my word. If anything else, and i I shouldn't be surprised, but I am surprised that it was on the list. But it definitely makes sense. So for my number five, this is the anime that, looking back on it now, it it probably it is considered a mecha anime, but. It's been so long since it's hit the airwaves that it didn't really hit me. But it's uh, known as Blue Gender. Is it on oh, your list or no?
1: Yeah, you talked about Blue Gender in our Mecha Talk, um, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, I uh, haven't been able to check it out. But yeah, tell me about it.
0: Yeah, so again, Blue Gender. <laughs> yes. Uh, Blue Gender was an anime that came out in 1999. And with this, this anime, like this anime, it, it was sort of between this one or Genocidal Organ. Genocidal Organ is more of a newer anime. But uh with Genocidal Organ, that's just a movie. Whereas with Blue Gender, it's a bit of a series. So you can sit and ruminate and see the different type of themes that are going on. So with Blue Gender, pretty much think about fry from futurama except when he wakes up the world is infested with these giant man-eating bugs and he wakes up to these bugs eating other people that are in their canisters right so you have nightmare fuel or this very high anxiety opening scene with this character essentially He's frozen until a disease that he has can be cured. And he wakes up in the future, basically in this apocalyptic wasteland. And he's trying to get with the humans and essentially go back to space. So the bugs had basically overrid, uh, basically took over the world and humanity is living in space. And the people... Uh, go back to Earth to try to free the people in the cryotubes for specific purposes. And in the facility that they were at, he actually wasn't a person that they were looking for. So not only is humanity basically living in space in fear of these super bugs, but this man woke up and is a man out of his time and he's not even the droid that these humans were looking for, right? So you have like this sense of displacement, this sense of disappointment, and this high anxiety, and you are essentially thrown into a war zone, and b- him basically trying to figure out what needs to be done. And again, like looking back on it, it is a mech anime because they have these mech suits so they can fight these bugs, but. If I had to make a comparison, it probably feels the most like Iron-Blooded Orphans if, um, if it was made in the 90s, where basically there's little to no plot armor, and the people who do survive survive because of their own wits and as well as ingenuity. I didn't have a chance to finish this anime, but it has impacted me enough to rank it so high on my list. So uh, th- those were uh, my thoughts on uh, Blue Gender. So Jay, on uh, d- did you have uh, any comments or you want to just go on to your number three?
1: Yeah, I can go into my number three. Uh, Let's do that. So yeah, again, part of the definition towards... Military anime is the militant group part. So I wanted to put into mm-hmm. my list something that focused on counterintelligence and spy organizations. One because Spikes family was on my mind, but also depending yes. on how the depending on how the organization is organized, it definitely resembles more of a military organization because counterintelligence is just mm-hmm. necessary for good military intelligence as well. So my number third spot is Joker game.
0: That is a yeet for me. Oh, wow. Cool. Awesome. We have one in common. Damn.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We have one in common. Okay, cool. Yes. So, nice. So, that leaves us to your number three then.
0: So, my number three is The Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. So, I said
1: earlier that I left that on my list Mm because that was leaning into the sci-fi mecha part of it. But, definitely military. Uh, Definitely tell me mm -hmm. about it.
0: Yeah, so the thing that, again, like you said, leads into sci-fi mecha anime, if anything, the best way that I can describe it, at least the new iteration for it, is it's like Gundam without the mobile suits, where you get that sense of a space opera, but you really focus on these two, uh, the these two, in their own rights geniuses on... Uh, both sides of a conflict. Essentially, there is a, in, there's an interstellar conflict between these two factions, uh, and th- it's been going on for about 100 years. We follow this one character who was a noble. It seems like his parents did something to where they had to go back to commoners or live amongst commoners, but they still retain their title as a noble. Essentially, has to work from the bottom up And it had uh, worked his way to become, I think it was Rear Admiral, something very, very high for a very young age. And on the other side of the war, we see this one character that is more laid back, has more of a Shikamaru vibe, and was able to work his way up that way and watching them go at each other or essentially work against each other it's like seeing light and l play their cat and mouse games but it's essentially with essentially a war game and so that's what's been very interested to me and why uh legend of the galactic heroes is higher up on my list i haven't had a chance to finish it yet but because going back and looking at this list, it made me want to go back and watch it and start it again. And I do believe their season three or season four is uh, premiering uh, this uh, spring season. So, you know, maybe I'll get up to date enough to be able to watch it. So that's my number three. Let's go on to your number two, Jay.
1: Alright, so my number two spot shouldn't be too much of a surprise because it's one of my defining mm-hmm. tastes in anime. But my number two is Psychopass.
0: Ah Yes, it's so good. I'm I'm kinda surprised that you have Psychopass on there, even though it's leaning towards Sci Fi as well. But because it is one of your defining tastes, I can see you being a little bit more lenient with that one than with Galactic Heroes. Tell tell us a little bit about it, Jay.
1: Yeah, so again, putting going back to the definition. I tried to keep as close to definition as possible, but one of the things I did omit was that mil- the difference between a military force and a police force is that a military force is organized against a common collective threat and how criminals are treated in the world of psychopaths being determined by the civil system. You do feel like criminals are more of a body entity kind of in the same way as they treat um, I guess a good parallel might be Individual 11 in the world of Ghost in the Shell, that these divergent people and the civil system are one collective. So I felt that felt more in the vein of a military, uh, threat than just a civilian threat. And also the fact that the enforcers in the show, the detectives in the show, have basically military grade weapons that can liquefy people. And I felt That was also a little um, signifier (laughs) that it was more of a military show than a crime show. But this is a production IG anime available in Funimation. It has like three seasons, three movies, two mangas, a light novel. We'll actually be talking about it later this year because it really was released in 2012. But it's basically a futuristic world where a system of biometric scanners, they are also psychometric scanners... Basically, run the criminal system, and if you are in violation of that system by having a threshold of your psychosis basically high enough that it would predict that you would commit crime, that you get arrested, apprehended, or liquefied, like I said earlier. So, it does side a little bit more in the military for me because of the station that the Public Safety Bureau, that's their name for their organization, in the In that world, PSB. Right. It feels more of a military group than a civil enforcement group, even though it's like they're the police technically. But when you see in the show, there are like regular stand on the corner police officers, and then there's the people from the safety bureau. So I think it rides this line of what happens when you militarize the police. And it has so much on it, mine. It has like one of the greatest villains of all time with Makashima in there. And um, the cast is pretty good. There's a lot of good qualities to it, but it's more of a psychological thriller and horror. So there's a lot going on attached to the genre of just military or police. So I put it so high on it because it's always something that I would recommend that people check out if you really want to see like adult anime, you know, quote, adult anime as well as one of my defining tastes in anime so it just felt natural that i put it on the list but that was my number two sam
0: awesome and it's uh, it's up there for a good reason i definitely agree with you on uh, the points on why it should be on or in the military and so high so high in regard in military anime and for my number two i have the yeet from earlier joker game ah jay would you like to give us your thoughts on joker game and why it made your list oh yeah of course so again giving some credit
1: towards counterintelligence in the military division is that this was one of those anime that's actually i guess 2016 is when i started getting back into anime after university because it's like one of those early editions that i was like oh this is new i'm gonna check it out and it's also done by, is this by another production IG? I forget. But it's very beautiful with their character design. But it's basically a story that is set on the brink of World War II, where Japan has basically set up a counterintelligence agency called uh, D Agency, I think. And basically their job is basically training in uh, counterintelligence and espionage to gather information on, you know, valuable assets around the world. And basically bring it forward to the military uh, before any like military plans can be enacted. So the reason why I love this so much is that it rides this beautiful line of things I've seen in Zero Dark Thirty, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, even a little bit of Sicario. Um, that how agents of counterintelligence or how spies have to operate—you have to be a certain kind of psychopath. To really be a spy That you have to know how to manipulate people How to model empathy in others How to just be a con man There's like all these communication skills That they go into It's a lot of shop talk about how you can manipulate people And it feels very dirty Like whenever you listen to like Clinical psychologists talk about How human interactions can be broken down Manipulated And like be led in your favor So all that's in this anime Like if you want to Know how to to break down a person, how to gather information, how to manipulate their feelings to get them to divide, divulge information that you weren't, they weren't, they don't want to divulge. Then this is just a beautiful anime. So that's why I put it at my number three. But Sam, you put it higher. So what's up with it?
0: No, it's very much what you said, and in the sense of the shop shop talk. I'm not one for episodic anime, and This what I had started watching a little bit of Joker game before I took initiative to sit down and try to expand my repertoire and watch episodic anime. And because my time at the time I, I didn't like episodic anime, I didn't finish this anime. But not for that reason; other stuff had happened. But I very much enjoyed it mainly because like you said they were able they had explained how to manipulate people and what it takes to do so and a little bit of that was in the game that they played the people in the d agency that you had mentioned and the game that they made up the game that they met up made up in how to figure out what's in the other person's cards what they would do to try and get information from everybody else and how basically everybody has an angle and everybody is trying to win at the same time while helping other people and it was sort of like a game within a game within a game we also got to see uh, different agents play different roles and how they seem like they were invested in their roles things of that nature it was just so cool it's just so well done you got to feel a sense of when people were betrayed or when they when the stakes were really really high because even though these agents were able to manipulate others like the stakes are for real if they mess up, that's it for them so when they do their job they have to be on point they have to be on top and i want to say like this came out around the same time i think as 91 days and even though 91 days is more of a, a gangster crime drama it felt very much in the same vein in how somebody has to infiltrate a an organization or different groups in order to pursue their mission and again it it was just very very well done in that regard so jay what is your number one military anime
1: yeah so i guess this might be a surprise but this is an anime that i really much enjoy and i've watched a couple times over again but my number one is tanya the evil
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, so that's a bench for me, but I would have to say that Tanya was one of my honorable mentions, though. So, why is Tanya your number one?
1: Yeah, so this is the one that I feel is the most military-centric anime that I've seen, military-centric anime that I've seen that doesn't have too much of the shenanigans that you might attribute to the you know the anime medium even though it's an isekai even though it's a fantasy even though there's magical there's a magic system in there it does get into the business of military which again translates into the anime that we're going to talk about in a little bit but like the logistics and the business of anime that this is set up in a world where world war one has lasted into the twentieth century, not the twentieth century, but the nineteen twenties. So basically World War One has extended longer than in our timeline. In you know, the real world timeline. But its main character is a salaried man that basically has a vendetta against God and is reborn into a little girl's body with a very high threshold and magical abilities. And the focus of the anime is basically on how do you keep the war engine going? Essentially, what are the politics? What are the logistics? What are the human costs of keeping a war going? They're taking war and examining it like a business, essentially. And I think that's a very interesting take. And then to add on top of that, oh, your main character is also an isekai uh, man from Japan. Add on top of that, this man, little girl wants to kill God (laughs) or not even kill God, but just prove God wrong as a non-all-powerful being or. Even like the whole that God can't be all good if he's all powerful kind of thing that you know Lex Luthor talks about with Superman. But it's such an interesting nuanced approach to military organization planning. So like they take an episode to talk about supply lines. They take an episode to talk about the mechanics and maintenance of machinery. They talk about some of the... Because this is alternate history, they talk, they do a parallel to what they did with um, Auschwitz and how they treated the Jewish uh, prisoners there and like what did the Nazi soldiers actually do to them. So like they take a very close, realistic, historic examination of what are, what happened in our world and then apply it to this uh, magical world, this fantasy world as well. But then at the core of it is just, All these different slices of how do you keep a war going how do you uh, maintain morale among soldiers how do you keep Mm -hmm. up with the financial markets with countries that you invade or with your own country so you're like oh I'm understanding why war happens which is such a weird thing to go into an anime or leaving an anime leaving an anime with that kind of knowledge so there are 12 episodes. Season 2 is coming out later this year. There's also a movie. And it's done by Studio Nuts, who did Decadence, which we've talked about. What was that? Decadence was two years ago, Sam? Um, I think it was
0: two years, yeah, years ago, yeah. But it's a
1: pretty young studio, so they've kind of put all their eggs in the basket with Tanya. I mean, they actually uh, reached out, branched out with Foolie Cooly Alternative, uh, one of the sequel showies to Foolie Cooly. But it's just a all together well put together series very military centric and you don't really like the main character because you know they're kind of they're not even um, they're kind
0: of a dick they're kind
1: of a dick <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> they are a dick um, so
1: yeah but i guess the efficiency in which they're killing people and how they get around problems in it is interesting enough yeah. so overall it's just like the best military anime i've seen
0: okay no and I would say, no, like, th- those are all very good points. I guess I-, I need to go back and rewatch it. Because the one thing that mainly was my main gripe was, again, as you said, like the main character, the main character's whole point is to sort of disprove God, or at least to uh, thumb his nose uh, in God's face. But the ironic thing, too, is like for this character to invoke the magic system, this character has to essentially pray to the deity in order to use magic. So, like, it, it's it's sort of like a tongue-in-cheek thing in that regard, but, like, throughout the entirety of the show, like, I it never really dawned on me on how this character was going to do that or what this character was taking steps in order to... Uh, see uh, this uh, anim this th- this deity or uh, this being X as the uh, protagonist called it, but instead of just focusing on that, I probably should have appreciated the war machine uh, that was, or at least a look behind the curtain of the war machine that is in Tanya the Evil. And I did realize, like, there were t- like when you mentioned the group's morale, how there was one episode when they didn't have any food and the protagonist had to figure out how to get supplies while reinvigorating the troops. So that was very interesting. Uh, However, my number one was, again, it's a little bit more mainstream, but was chosen because I felt like it was the most military uh, or at least the most uh, parallel to a military that I've seen in an anime. Which is Attack on Titan, and the only reason why I say that is because we get so much time with Aaron and the main characters in boot camp, and basically them trying to learn the different gears. I'm uh, oh, sorry, the different equipment that they have to use in order to fight the titans and not only that but like they essentially had to train while defending themselves because of the threat that the titans have at at this time it's just like everybody's on edge because anybody could be getting eaten or gotten at any moment and still you know like they had like in the military like they had to still find time to train in a safe manner so that they can go out and defend their people but knowing that at any time while they're training like the titans can come and kill them all and even if they do finish through training most of them if not all of them will die in the process so it's just sort of trying I guess, whereas with Tanya, it focuses on the leadership position within the military in Attack on Titan, especially in the beginning of the anime, you see it through the lens of somebody that's a cadet at a regular cadet pace in actual wartime. And I would say like it was very interesting as well to see... Them come up with different strategies in order to fight an enemy that cannot be overcome with conventional means or conventional methods. So, and we've talked about Attack on Titan plenty of times in the past. So, that's all the thoughts that I have on that. Do do you have any other comments that you would like to make, I guess, on our lists in general and how diverse that you had predicted that they would be?
1: Yeah, I'm just surprised that Joker Game <clears throat> made our shared list because Joker Game is very, It went like, again, a lot of the production IG anime kind of go under the radar, you oh, know, production IG is one of the greatest studios that exists. Oh, yeah. So I was very surprised at that, that major list, so I'm very glad about that. Um, I was glad about my list. Um, I mean, I could go through them just one more time just to close up before we get into our review session. But uh, my number five was Pilot's Love Story. Four was Sound of the Sky, three, Joker's Game, two, Psychopath, and number one, Tanya the Evil, which has a very weird, very weird other translation for his it. name. It's like the daily life of a girl in the military, which is a terrible <laughs> translation. Uh, but That's yeah, so like misleading.
0: Right, That's yeah. so misleading.
1: Right, yeah. But Tanya the oh. Evil, number one. But what about yours, Sam?
0: Awesome. So my number five, from five to number one, It's uh, Full Metal Alchemist slash Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Number four, Blue Gender. Number three, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Number two, Joker Game. And number one, Attack on Titan. So, those were our top fives. And we will be going on to the anime at hand. Today's discussion, which is known as Jormungandt. And again, time code in the description or up on the screen, wherever you are listening slash watching us. And a little bit on this anime. I had pushed for this anime because I had seen this in the past and I've always wanted to watch it. I wanted to dip my toe into the girls and guns subgenre that you have mentioned earlier, Jay. And I saw this still, and I thought that this was a girls and guns because of the main characters that were in front. But lo and behold, it is not girls and guns. It is basically organized crime as well as a military story. And the brief synopsis that we that that uh, a brief synopsis of this anime is we essentially follow, this I would say this child's soldier named Jonah and he's basically taken in by this weapons dealing weapon arms dealing group and the thing that's interesting about Jonah is that he hates arms dealers and yet we see him teamed up with this bands with 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 this band and essentially throughout the show we follow them and their exploits and essentially try to see why jonah is with them and how jonah impacts them and vice versa this uh anime is made by studio white fox this was an anime first The demographic is Seinen and it is rated R for good reason. This show can be seen on Hulu, Funimation, as well as Crunchyroll. So, Jay, uh, before we get into the thick of things, were you familiar with Jormungand before we watched it for this episode? Uh, Not at
1: all. I think, no, I hadn't seen the. Main character before Coco uh like she has a very unique character design, but I've never seen her. this has never crossed my path as an anime fan before, which I guess I'm not surprised um Studio white Fox hasn't done much I've seen or I haven't seen much I haven't seen much of studio uh white Fox before starting the podcast with you because we've done their katana Guitari and we've done their Steinscape in previous episodes, so like this is a third um anime season or anime series that we've seen from them. And I don't know if I should talk about this, but did you actually look up the pronunciation of the word of the anime? No, did you? Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm like okay. <laughs> I thought you were doing it on so, purpose. So, I thought you were oh, trying no, to no, trick no, me. No.
0: Okay. No 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 no. I I was essentially <laughs>
1: Doing it for I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was doing it phonetically and uh, I guess sort of going off of my God of War 5 quote unquote knowledge where because uh, of the mythical Norse snake that the group is named after. And that was something that I was kind of confused on because the snake, it's at least like from the game uh, God of War, it's Jormungandr, but it's spelled just Jörmungand. So Jay, tell us how to pronounce it correctly.
1: No, you're right because, like, one, if you take the umlauts, sorry, the umlaut, sorry, sorry, okay. Um, If you put, (laughs) if you take away the Nordic accents, you're pronouncing it right. So I guess it's weird. Like, you wouldn't take away the accents of any other word in other languages because it's Mm -hmm. weird because then it wouldn't be pronounced the same. But yeah, uh, the snake itself is um, yulmangander. uh, with the umlauts, but how you're pronouncing it is without the umlauts. So you're saying it correctly because the umlauts are there. But if you're going to be the Nordic correct pronunciation, it's yes, Um So yeah, yeah, world snake translates to it or serpent. That's why the. <laughs> Our little audio file is called Serpents, if you didn't catch
0: that. I clever. <laughs> oh, no, but, no, no, no. I, I caught it, I caught it, I caught it. Okay, cool, sweet, but, so sweet. Yeah, it's yeah. such a
1: weird, yeah, in, you know, Nordic language, those J's are pronounced as Y's, and then the umlauts change the vowel pronunciations. But, yeah, it's just really interesting that Japan went out of their way to actually use the Nordic
0: correct uh, phonetics, but then didn't add it really to the title.
1: So I just, think it's
0: because... It, it, it's kind of weird because in the japanese language they don't have an r right, right. so even though they're trying to be correct like they would still have the r or the u months, as you call it mm. so that's that that's a bit weird and but i would say that it is that the fact that the organization is called jormungandr is very very good because the organization itself it's all reaching it's all throughout the world because we see the characters go from one country to a to another like they basically live on a cargo ship always traveling never really staying in one location for too long so it shows definitely shows a scope of what it means to be an arms dealer especially one that's internationally well known so but i guess like aside from that, well, I mean, because you did a, a semi-deep dive in the name, what, what are your thoughts on that, and in, in terms of the name choice and the themes of the anime?
1: Yeah, again, it's like, again, translating things from Japanese into, or in things into Japanese is like, you lose a lot because of how kanji is structured, but yeah, it's just like, uh, I don't think it would have worked, I mean, I don't think a title like World Serpent would have made sense or anything, or I mean, even if they wanted to go more Aztec or, I actually don't know where it is, Ouroboros would like, probably is, be more...
0: Is uh, is Ouroboros Aztec? Uh,
1: It's by an Aztec or it's definitely yeah, Pinta, but yeah. it's, it's one of those two Mayas or Aztecs. But mm-hmm. yeah, like, Ouroboros is like something more widely known, and it's the same thing as a world serpent or serpent eating its own tail, so I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the manga kind of has that name kind of stamped as this identity. But I mean I think it's a good villainous organization because it's again, uh, international arms traders is not a vil- it's not really villainous technically, quote unquote. Again, something why I talked about um Tanya being so or actually psychopaths being so political. This is kind of absence of any political leans leanings or inferences that they can say it's like it's very goofy in how it it mm-hmm. gives like a platform to talk about arms stealing which feels like a villainous thing it feels like a morally <laughs> corrupt business but there's like a lot of leaning towards comedy <laughs> and upbeatness in the series which i wasn't expecting but the name is like kind of whatever it's not like they have tattoos with serpents on them i don't think i don't think i caught that but no they, they didn't like... have
0: anything like that and it, it's very interesting that you uh mentioned villainous because we one of the main characters, Coco, the leader of the group that Jonah is a part of, she tells Jonah. Basically, asks her why she is an arms dealer, and we learn that Jonah tolerates Coco because, as you said, she, uh, the group it's very different and it has a more comical approach to things, and a lot of it's because of her and. In how eclectic that she is, right? And she basically tells them the reason why that she is in arms dealing is for world's peace, right? And it's like, okay, I guess like that's kind of funny. That's kind of ironic, you know, trying to be a little bit light hearted. I would say, like, I saw Episode 4 basically because Episode 3 is a two-parter. It's the first part of a two-parter, so I saw Episode 4 just to wrap it up, and the end of Episode 4, it was very interesting. Jay, have you had a chance to watch more of the anime, or you just stopped at Episode 3?
1: Yeah, I stopped at Episode 3, so Episode 3 does introduce this assassins organization, or at least a pair called um, Orchestra, so it did episode did three did end in a cliffhanger so i obviously knew that there was going to be a part two but i stopped at episode three just to keep with our first three episode tests
0: okay but i would just say like it's kind of weird because i feel as though like the end of episode four should have been episode three because with one of the characters that is shown to us before the character meets their demise coco essentially tells them the reason why they became an arms dealer right they basically ask coco the same question and coco says i'll tell you the reason why i became an arms dealer and the camera cuts away you see the characters talking but you can't hear them talking and then you cut back to the character and the character looks at coco in astonishing horror And even though this character was established to be one hard son of a gun, right? Basically doesn't get rattled a lot or at all. And the fact that Coco's reasoning shook them to the core means something. So at the end of that episode, you're like, okay, so Coco's reasoning isn't as clear cut as she made it out to be to Jonah. So as you're watching the show, like it would lead you to believe it's like, okay, I want to know like why Coco is actually in the arms, our our arms dealing business and you know what that actually means. Because in the very first shot of the show, we see Coco along with her bodyguards and some of the other mercenaries that she's with basically shoot off a rocket into the sky somewhere. So we don't know if they bombed a place or something like that so it's just i don't know if it's something that they're going to circle back around to or if it was just like an opening shot just to show but it it was just fairly fairly interesting and again like it brought me back to that first opening scene and i feel that's why i feel as though that uh, episode three should have ended with the ending at episode that they, that they had, and episode four instead. And uh, one one quick question to you, Jay, uh, because th- this was something that sort of tickled my brain a little bit in wanting to cause a question. Because I mentioned how eclectic that Coco was, and it made me realize how eclectic characters like her have become popularized and some have even been fetishized as well. Like characters like Jinx from League of Legends, Harley Quinn from DC, Tiny Tina from Borderlands, Toga from My Hero Academia, and Yukako from uh, JoJo's part four, the girl that kidnaps uh, Koichi, right? How like they're basically played off as cute or played off as endearing, even though, their eccentricities are borderline psychotic, and with Coco, she is not necessarily the same as those, but she's in the same in a similar vein, where she is uh, played off as kooky slash crazy, and the characters find it endearing. Why do you think that is? There's a lot
1: to that dual identity.
0: That well,
1: for one, just talking about Coco specifically. Is that she has that professional and professional and personal side to her character? Well, she's a ruthless an arms dealer that will kill you if you like pay her the wrong way or look at her the wrong way. And she also has this business code of ethics, which you know most arms dealers kind of have to have because again, it's just a business to them. They are a proprietor or proprietor or a provider of whatever means that they're. Uh, giving out because again in episode two they introduce like a rival somewhat of a rival arms De- dealer and curry and three they introduced this um the assassin's organization yeah orchestra, orchestra so it's very episodic in that way but when you get mm. to this man large cast of characters it's a <laughs> oceans 12 large cast of characters even though of course the spotlight is going to be on coco and jonah but there's eight yes. other members they're like this mixed ragtag group of burly gentlemen's and another um, female character but again like they're just kind of in the background somewhat. i'm I'm assuming they're going to get flushed out in future episodes but with coco she is a eccentric like you said eclectic individual where she feels at home with her bodyguards and that they're this family they're they're a close-knit group maybe they trust each other i'm not sure about that level of endearment yet but that Mm. kind of archetype does play to what it basically accentuates accentuates the extremities of people's personalities and it's like all most people are two-faced no matter who you're talking to they have a inner life and a exterior life i think that's what's really attracted to it like you said some people some fans take it to the extremes by fetishizing it but Mm. a lot of that nuance is missed and the way you do that is just amping, amping it up on both ends Is that, oh, yeah, she's going to be rolling on the table or she sleepwalks or she has this funny pastry eating thing. You kind of see that with, um, I guess, because Ocean's 12 is on my mind with the Brad Pitt character. He's always eating. Oh, yeah. eating he's always
0: eating. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, like
1: that quirky tick oh. that they do that makes them adorable. Mm-hmm. Or cute. Oh, you're cute. And you can kill everybody in the room if you want. But, oh, you're so Cute. Uh, so it's always that like sense of endearment that you want your audience to get attached to so like that's the reason for it and i actually don't get attached to coco for that reason um yeah because of one i've said um previously or just uh, a few minutes ago is that her character design is so odd she doesn't look like a person like her skin is i don't know what foundation that is but she looks like a porcelain doll like she's lacking of like Basic very, human feature. Very pale. feels yeah. like she's wearing a mask. Her hair is jet white. I don't know, well shell white? I don't know what that kind of white is. But it's so weird seeing Coco can, uh, contrast against uh, Jonah, who's basically a character from Full Metal Alchemist. He looks Shabalin, <laughs> which was yeah. odd as well. Like <laughs> he has the Indian dark skin or Pakistani skin, but then he has the scarlet eyes and white hair. So I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. And then, even that relationship between Coco and Jonah is more of a motherly kind of attachment because Coco is immature, but Jonah is like the more mature one, even though he's a child soldier. He has this complex motivation of being a gun wielder who hates gun wielders. <clears throat> so, hopefully, they get flushed out, but I mm-hmm. can't really see that being too well written since it's obviously like a scar parallel. Like, oh, I can't kill people unless I kill these people. It's like one of those things. I can only kill these kind of people, but I can kill people. Mm -hmm. hate killers, but I'm a killer kind of thing. (laughs) So uh, not really interested interested to see where that go, but with the character of Coco, it's not very that endearing to me. So I don't think that split personality personality trait is working for me personally.
0: Yeah, I'd say like moving forward, it would mainly just, again, just, just to see what Coco's true motivations are and there have been times when they try to hint at some of her eccentricities where she would be in a tight spot but everybody else will be freaking out and she would be the only one that's smiling and there have been times where she did show how clever that she was and that that has been kind of interesting but again as you said there there's a huge cast a huge cast So it's hard to really attach to anybody aside from Coco and Jonah, especially since it's an it's episodic in nature. So everything but episode three is not is an isolated story in itself. I mean, we see uh, again we we see a rival arms dealer in episode two and we see characters that coco and her crew have seen before so there's some good natural prior existing relationships however because the cast is so large it's hard to really get attached to anybody there is that one chick with the eye patch but she's hard to get attached to because she's just obsessed with coco i would say the only other person to really see is the I I think it's the sniper he's the older gruff guy that has the salt and pepper hair and we see him having a couple of sessions with Jonah I would say he is probably because he seems the most level-headed he's probably the one that I would get attached to mainly because he can talk to anybody at any level but he still has that sense of self He just doesn't have any screen time, really, in these first three episodes. So we do see Jonah and Coco, but it's hard to really get attached to them because they're extremes in their own right. And they try to meet in the middle. And the other characters are just as diverse, but there's just so many of them to keep track of and i'm not gonna lie but like well i'll i'll I'll, I'll save my thoughts a little bit uh for later but is there anything else that you would like to say before we get we go to our final verdict of resurrect or rebury
1: for a 2012 anime that we're talking about now it is well. for one there's a season two as well there's a season two called perfect order so it does seem like it runs the full gamut of flushing out the characters because this is 12 episodes as well as next season's 12 episodes. So if they are going to give like all the backstory, but it's just episodic by, oh, this wild bunch of people going on missions around the world and like giving a lot of attention and detail to like the uh, design to the military weapons they're selling, even to like the business model of selling weapons and how that's being done. Uh, worldwide this movie or sorry the series definitely reminds me of Nicolas Cage movie uh, Board of War which basically focuses on the same aspects of the business behind arms dealing and how do arms dealers basically circumvent local and international um, authorities so I was like oh okay this reminds me of the Nicolas Cage movie I was like very surprised so and it's pretty much one of a kind I mean, somewhat of a... You can like kind of see some parallels between this and like Black Lagoon, but there's not much other animes out there that kind of focuses on this quote-unquote business model of selling arms. Because, one, it's really hard to do without seem, seeming very nihilistic of following people that basically profit off of war and how they yeah. perpetuate war. So it's like a very hard topic to basically pursue in a very um endearing way I guess, like I've said before. But yeah, like I think the upbeat approach kinda downplays a lot of it. It makes it a lot about the non political aspect of trading in arms. So that's kind of the thing that's really I took away from the first three episodes for our reviewing test. But other than that, um yeah, I think is a very interesting watch so far. And I'm not sure if I'm going to pick it up or watch I probably will watch episode 4 to see that moment that you're talking about Sam but other than that yeah
0: and i i would say i oh, i'm sorry i i did lie a little bit cuz i watched a little bit of episode 5 and there was another character that was introduced and that that was fairly interesting and it sort of beckons just like why wasn't the anime fo- focused on this character instead you know sort of like how Deku was saying that if his life was not uh, was a manga, it would follow Todoroki instead of him. You know, that sort of thing. But um, as you said, like it was very, very interesting. Uh, a, a, a definite interesting watch. And if anything, it might be a, a light watch for me uh, moving forward just because of some of the mysteries that I've exposed myself to. I feel like I have to uh, finish them to fruition at this point. But now we shall get into our verdicts of Resurrect or Rebury. And Jay, what is your verdict on this anime?
1: Well, hopefully it's obvious now, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that this is a Rebury for me. Uh, cause mm-hmm. One, I mean, there is enough material here to think, I think, that would flush out all the problems I have with the again. The examination of the characters like again it's like 10 probably interesting characters they all have i think four of them are delta force i forget but they do break it down like they break down like two of them are from a polish special defenses so they all have two of them are snipers and then jonah is a child soldier war soldier or war orphan so uh, we talked about that a little bit before in berserk and how that kind of warps your perception perception of life and death so it's like, these are great characters. They have a lot of buildup for the first three episodes. And I think the two scenes would flush them out. But I can't recommend it in good consciousness because of that. Because it might just be me imagining things. Uh, White Fox does some great animation here. There's some good like gunfire scenes. A lot of the action is well choreographed. There's no stuttering of uh, frames. Because you know 2012 is kind of known for that. But yeah, like yeah, White Fox did a good job in the animation. The sound design is pretty on point. The opening um, for this first season is a banger. So like you, if you key into that, that's another positive. But of all these things I have problems with, I can't recommend this over any of the five anime that I talked about before in our military um, discussion. I would say you can go watch the Nicolas Cage movie Lord of War before <laughs> you watch this anime as well, because that yeah. feels like a better, accurate real world. Interpretation of the arms business. This just feels a little bit too lighthearted, even though it's a Seinen, falls into that older category, and like for good reason because it's just gunfire and death. But it doesn't lean into the greediness that I would expect um, to make it terribly enjoyable. Like it's a good lighthearted romp, but nothing too
0: excessive that uh, I would recommend it. So I'm going to say we bury it. But what about you, Sam? I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of uh h- hoping you to help me change my mind because I'm not gonna lie. As I was watching this anime, I was like, "Okay, but Black Lagoon did this better." You know, I I couldn't help but compare it to Black Lagoon as you said, and it's very much in the same vein. I would say the thing that Yor Gander does better is that because they they're international, they don't just stick to one place, whereas Black Lagoon. You basically stick to one place, but the one place is a melting pot. And with the themes that they deal with, sort of like bad company corrupts good character, you get to see the regression of one character who dips their toe into that reality and how they get absorbed into it. And you get sort of a little taste of everything, a taste of the child soldier, the mercenaries, the guns for hire, the arms dealers, things like that. And I would say the thing that Black Lagoon does suffer from that you had mentioned that Yormingenor doesn't is that it does stay in the gritty way too long sometimes. And but with when you're talking about stories of war and stories like this Staying in the grit is sort of expected because war is not a happy subject, nor are the casualties or the people that it affects. So that's one thing that Jormungandr does different is that it has a different outlook or at least a different approach to it. So that's good in one case, but then again, it's sort of hard to take it a bit seriously or at least see if they are trying to say anything about the points that they are addressing. Whereas with Black Lagoon, because it has the tone, you have an expectation of what to look forward to. Whereas with Jormungandr, it's... A little bit difficult to discern in that regard even though it's supposed to be lighter tone just like okay how am i supposed to take this like or, or are we going to get uh oh, oh oh like is coco basically trying to get jonah to turn his life around or is coco doing something else that that sort of thing so it's sort of a mixed bag and as i said like i'll keep i might keep watching it but I am in a similar camp to you where even though it is taking a different subject such as arms dealing uh, as a focus I feel like it was done in other anime and I wouldn't necessarily resurrect it. So I'm I will probably keep watching it but that's sort of where my feelings and thoughts are right now. So that is a resounding rebury from the both of us that it's been a while since we've both chosen to rebury an anime hasn't it jay uh
1: yeah i can't actually recall the one that we we both agreed to rebury because like we either both agreed to resurrect or disagree and one of us reburies it for with an asterisk usually is the case yeah reburying i guess now is a little bit more challenging and i think it's also weighing against the current season as well because this season is packed. We only talked about our top five uh, last episode when we talked about the spring watch list. But like, I picked up some other anime like Birdie Wing, which is a golf anime that premiered the season, as well as I'm Quitting Heroing, which had a very interesting premise. I was not expecting that the hero... Basically gets turned on by the people he got protected by. So a little bit of that shield hero-ness. But then he goes to join the enemy team or the uh, Demon's Queen's army. So I was like, okay, I'll put this on the list too. And was blown away by episode one of Spy X Family as well. So, yeah, it's a good season. So I guess that weighs against it as well.
0: (laughs) Yes, Spy X Family outweighs Jorven Gander a lot (laughs) i'm sorry that, that, that's 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 just hilarious because because it does um so that was our thoughts on jormungandr uh a resounding rebury from the both of us saying like white Fods did do a good job but hope but it was just something with the source material that could have uh been done a little bit better And for the next episode, we will be looking forward to Jay's pick. And we will be reaching for the stars with the anime known as Space Brothers. And I'm looking forward to it, actually, because I have heard good things about this anime. And uh, Jay, with that being said, what have you got for us today? All right, so
1: I got a quote from Lord of War. I actually so Human to kind of re my love for this Nicholas Clay's movie that no one talks about, but I still think it's probably one of his best movies of all time. But yeah, the quote goes, you know who's going to inherit the earth? Arms dealers, because everyone else is too busy killing each other. That's the secret to survivor, kid. Never go to war, especially with yourself.